So welcome to our new episode of Fight Talk. With us on this episode, we have legendary cut man, Stitch Duran. Thanks for coming on here, Stitch. Oh, of course, man. It uh, must be in the wee hours in the morning for you, huh? Uh, Because what is it, about almost 6.39, and I think you guys what, nine hours ahead of me? It's too far. So so I'm sure your family's asleep right about now, but thanks for having (laughs) me on the podcast. (laughs) Thank you for coming on. Big thank you. Uh, you was on a big major show on Tuesday. Well, the first major boxing show on Tuesday um, behind closed doors. I, it made sense you being the cut man because you was, you've had that close to that experience with UFC Tough. Yeah, uh, you're 100% right. And, and uh, you know, doing fights without an audience, I did all the tough reality shows, you know, and, uh, and that was without an audience. So all that was second nature, but... Uh, when Brad Jacobs, the CEO of, uh, of Top Rank, called me, uh, gave me the offer that uh, they're going to be having 13 shows uh, every Tuesday and Thursday uh, at the MGM on ESPN and wanted to know if I would be one of the two cutmen. And the reason they're bringing the two cutmen in, Chris, is because, uh, because of this quarantine, uh, they're very limited on who they could bring in for, uh, with the fighters. So the fighters only allowed to bring in two more people, uh, coaches. And in the majority of those times, those two coaches aren't a cut man. So top rank did like the MMA where they brought in professional cut men uh, to work with the fighters that don't have cut men, which is per, for the most part, all of them. So to have gotten that opportunity with Mike Basil, uh, it, it's a blessing because uh, as I break it down, the formula that, top rank and ESPN put together for safety and, and quarantine and all that is the blueprint that the UK is going to use, all Europe's going to use, the Latin American countries. That's the blueprint because if it works for top rank, it's going to work for all these other promotions. And in all fairness, uh, this is going to be going on for at least six months, you know, so uh, just to be part of that historical moment uh, for me, uh, I'm blessed. I remember um, I've been watching a lot of you lately and I know you take the psychological part of boxing very seriously. One thing I thought about when you're having fights behind closed doors is fighters' mentality. Yes. Did you notice any, anything before the fight? Because you're there wrapping their hands. You have this sensitive, intimate moment before the fight. Did you notice any difference? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a little different for these boxers because they're not accustomed to that, right? But... But what I did is, now here's, here's the way the program goes, which I think is pretty cool. So Mike Basil and myself are the two cut men. So being that, um, so like I worked with Shakira, uh, Shakira Stevenson, worked with him before. I worked with uh, uh, Big Baby. So the guys I've worked with before, I get to work with them, guaranteed. But the, the new guys that come in, what they do is once they get out, they get on the scale and they, they make weight, then they stay on stage. And they got envelopes like the Academy Awards. And one of the, well, they'll flip to see who picks. And the one that wins, he picks the envelope. And if it's me, I work with him. If it's Mike Basil, then he'll work with him. And uh, so it's like the Academy Awards. So we'll do that. But let's say I'm working with you, right? So I'll go and I'll meet with you and I'll let you know exactly what I'm going to be doing. Kind of, because I know these fighters get nervous. You know, this is an entirely different environment. and so I'll go over there and try to calm their nerves. Of course, you know, just through my experience and, uh, seems to help cause I'm 
win a lot of fights so far. <laughs> so. One, one thing I was thinking about earlier is, you know, with fighters, it's what leading up to the fight is the hard part. The fight yes. might even be the easiest part of the whole process of getting it. But we kind of learned that now with Showtime's got all access. Uh, UFC's got embedded. But with Cutman, I feel like you need that aspect as well to appreciate what happens before that when you're sitting there and you're wrapping hands. Just that moment there is a moment that nobody else can experience or even think what that's like. That's a really sensitive moment. How would you explain that moment? And how do you... I'll explain it to you this way, man, and you're 100% right. Frank Mir, I guess, said it best. He says, when I see Stitch walking into the dressing room, my stomach just drops because I know it's time to fight. So this is really their first step in getting going into combat. And I tell them, I, I feel like the old gladiator days where I walk into the dungeon and I put the armor on you, you know, I give you your sword, you know, and you go out there and you fight to your death. I'm that guy that does that to you. And then you go out there and you perform. Uh, but I understand, I've had fighters, Chris, when I'm wrapping their hands, they cry, you know, because I know those moments. Vitor Belfort, another good example, said, when I see Stitch walking into the dressing room, even though I know he's working on the other corner, he brings that calming effect. And, you know, when you're in the dressing room, you know that adrenaline is high and you got to learn to control it. And, and so psychology is a big, big part of what I do, and, and that's something you just can't learn off of books. I'll give you a behind-the-scenes story with uh, Vladimir Klitschko when he fought Anthony Joshua. 90,000 people, Wembley Stadium. Tremendous, tremendous event, right? Well, I didn't see, I've been working with Vladimir for 12 years, but I didn't see him till Friday at the weigh-ins uh, because my daughter had got married in Creed on Wednesday, and Thursday I flew to London, and Vladimir was staying in a different hotel. So anyway, I'm in the in the green room before he gets on the scale, and I'm talking with Vladimir and Vitaly, and 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 I understand, you know, that even though you guys are modern day gladiators, deep inside you're all babies, and my job is the father figure. And so I put my hand on Vladimir, and I said, "Look, Vladimir, don't worry about nothing tomorrow. I'm going to take care of you like you're my son." And I, I tell that to a lot of fighters, right? And I mean it. Uh, so here we are, man. I'm putting the Vaseline on them. 90,000 people. And 90,000 Brits is like 150,000 other people. They're just loud. They're crazy. <laughs> right? It was so loud, it was buzzing. And I'm thinking, shit, man, what am I doing? I'm right in the center. All eyes are us. Michael Buffer, right before he does the announcements, I'm putting the Vaseline on Vladimir. And, you know, he's up here. And he looks down at me. And we're about this far apart. And he says, you could call me son. But see, I knew that I got to him that night before because you explained to me what it's like the night before a fight. Your adrenaline's going, all these thoughts are going through your head. I took that away from Vladimir and I gave him positive thoughts. So, you know, when he gave me that, it gave me chills, bro. That's that's the thing I feel like people miss. Just that being a good cut man is being able to create that safe, not safe environment, that comfortable environment to be able to perform because one wrong is such a sensitive moment if you say the wrong thing that reminds me when you're in the UFC I always see you whisper something after you put on the Vaseline what are you whispering? Hey man fuck him <laughs> up bro <laughs> <laughs> but in my head I'm just thinking it's such a sensitive moment if you say the wrong yeah. thing they could be their mind could be on that the whole fight yeah no no you know I, I always reassure them as a man go out there and give it your shot man. I'm going to take care of you 
don't worry about nothing. I'm going to take care of you, you know, or I love you. You know, just little things that that, you know, will resonate when they take that step into the octagon. And and uh, like I said, those those aren't things that you could learn uh, through a book or through videos and all that. These are situations you have to have been there to understand the mentality of of, of what I'm trying to relax in your mind. I felt the pains. I felt the hurt. I, I felt everything that these guys are feeling. So I understand, you know, uh, Lyoto Machida, And this all started with Lyoto Machida when he fought Rashad Evans, when, when Lyoto won the world title. So if you remember, his father's very Japanese, very Shogun, nice outfit. And he's, he just sits there very proud. And so after the fights, cause I always rap Lyoto, I always worked his corners. And, uh, so after the fights, I go in the dressing room to congratulate him. And his father is sitting there very, very proud like this. And, and in front of his father, he says, Steach, in the dress, in, in the ring, you are my father. You know, so he was the first one that gave me that indication that, you know what, I, I am their father. You know, and that's the way I take care of them. Now, you know how many times, man, these great, great, great gladiators, world champions, whether they're champions or not, but they're gladiators. How many times they give me a kiss and tell me they love me? You know, and I know that comes from their heart. And and uh, those are my prized possessions. That's what everything is about. It's never been about the money. It's been about accomplishments and and getting that respect from these guys. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's 100 percent real. When was that moment? You know, when I think about because when I hear you speak about just what you do in boxing and your role and just enjoying the moments. You can, yeah. see, you can see the passion. When was your moment? Because, you know, Mike Tyson has that famous story when he seen Muhammad Ali come into his school and he was saying, I'm down gonna, I want to be that guy. I want to do that. When was your moment when you was like, I'm doing this? When was that for you? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. That's, that's too many years back, bro. No, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I had my own school of kickboxing. I have a great history, you know, so in, 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 I always wanted to be a professional baseball player, right? So growing up that I grew up poor, I never had a car. So when I graduated from high school, Merced College, the, the other town was nine miles away. So I would go to school with my friends and I would, after school, they would leave, go back home and I would stay and I would practice. And then after practice, I would have to hitchhike home. And I did that for the longest time, but I was real naive uh, and I didn't know to ask, to talk to the coach or to talk to guidance uh, people. And and uh, so I left and I joined the military. I joined the Air Force. And that was in 1972. But in 1974, and I keep in mind, I was still a young, eh, not very educated. I was educated, a very naive young man. They sent me to a place called Thailand. And this was during the Vietnam War, right? Well, I always told myself, if I went to the Orient, I would study the martial arts because that was during the era when Bruce Lee was very, very big. Chuck Norris was very, very big, right? And uh, so I got to Thailand, and uh, I had friends that were already stationed there like three months before me. So they were already acclimated. So they invited me downtown to go see some fights. And thinking I'm Mexican and thinking, I don't even know what Muay Thai was. I saw my first Muay Thai fight. And this guy throws a kick, and he hits the guy here, knocks him out. And I said, I'm in. So <laughs> the next the next week, that Monday, on the base, they had... Um, for the GIs, uh, they had uh, Taekwondo. Well, Taekwondo, Thailand, sounds the same to me. I didn't know that it was Korean opposed to Thai. But So we trained in Taekwondo for about three months. And 
And then the Koreans left and then the Thais came over and took over the program. And then they transitioned us into the Muay Thai system. And uh, that's what got me started. And uh, from there, I never looked back. So did you, so, um, did, was you in the corner as a cut man for Muay Thai fighters as well? I, I did. I had my own school of kickboxing. And uh, so, now where you, you're in London? Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, Master Scan that's in Manchester right now. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was, him and I were student instructors. Well, he was a student instructor, and I, I was a student in Thailand. And uh, so this time was the best guy I'd seen since Bruce Lee. And turned out that I was doing a show in Los Angeles, and I hadn't seen Master Scan. I used to call him Ken. We were like brothers. I hadn't seen him since I left Thailand like 15 years later. And my brother comes up to me, he says, man, there's this guy in the dressing room that's putting cans on guys' heads and he's kicking them off. So I went over there and I looked at him and I saw him and I said, oh, Sawadika, sway my heart. He looks at me, he says, Jacob, it's me, it's Ken. So we got in touch and I went to his wedding in Manchester and his other brother. And so we stay in contact all the time. And, uh, but yeah, I, I worked many, many K1s and, uh, kickboxing, I had my own school of kickboxing. It was called uh, ASK, the American School of Kickboxing. And uh, I went all over, you know, working with fighters, at A-level fighters. And, of course, the money wasn't worth anything, you know. It was more of the, the goals. But that's what gave me the experience, being a good cut man. Not only as a trainer. I was a good trainer, very good trainer. I promoted fights and all that. But the cut man kind of floated to the top. And, you know, I was going to challenge myself and go where the big boys were. And that was Las Vegas. and and I made the move. And here I am talking to you, you know, 20, 26 years later. I was thinking Great. Muay Thai with the elbows and knees, you get cut up. You can get cut up. That slices you up. So I was thinking if you started there, that might have been a perfect storm of getting, you know, just consistent work. Yeah, that was, uh, you're absolutely right. You know, because when I moved to Las Vegas, at that time it was only boxing. UFC was non-existent. Kickboxing was was fairly new in the United States. So it wasn't, wasn't like it was in, in Holland and in Europe and all that. Uh, it was just kind of getting going. So it wasn't a big, big thing. Uh, but when I got into boxing, uh, I had that experience as a cut man. And uh, when I made the move to Vegas, people say, who is this guy? I could wrap a good hand. You know, I, I, could, I could do pads for guys. Uh, I didn't go to be a trainer, but I saw these guys train. I said, I could do that. I could do that. And, you know. Being that I had a job, I couldn't give you 150%. So that's why I kind of directed myself towards being a cut man. And But I had that experience. And people would say, damn, who is this guy? You know? So awesome. kickboxing going. I was going to ask you about, because you're in a unique position with, uh, on Wednesday, so let's go back to Wednesday. Wednesday, there was big news with Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua agreeing on terms for a two-fight deal. You're in a very unique position where you've been in Tyson Fury's corner, so you've seen the big man up and up close and personal, and you've been in Klitschko's corner when he was fighting Anthony Joshua. So you've seen Anthony Joshua up close and personal. How do you think that fight plays out from just the perspective that you've seen them both perform? Well, and then I've, 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 let me add one more, Vladimir Klitschko. I was with Vladimir Klitschko when he got beat by Tyson Fury. Oh, right. And, and, when, and when I first met Tyson, I met him two weeks before his fight. Right. So I walk into the into the, the, the gym and and all his him and his team are there. And, and he puts his hand out and he welcomes me. And 
you know, and then we start talking about the cuts and I'm letting them know that here's what I'm going to do. And, you know, my job is for you to walk out as handsome as you walk in, you know, the sight game. And, and, uh, uh, you know, so I, I give them those things and, um, and I told him, I said, you know, when you fought Vladimir Klitschko, I thought Vladimir just had a bad day. But then when I saw you fight Deontay Wilder, you, I became a number one fan of yours because you were very good at what you did. Very unorthodox, but very efficient. So going back to Anthony Joshua, um, I normally don't lay bets down. Uh, but if you look at, as a fan, as I look at style versus style, uh, like Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, I kept telling people, because I saw Tyson Fury when he was starting to peak, his last two weeks of training. So I got to see the best of him. And brother, everything he did in the gym, he did in the fight. But I always told people, Deontay Wilder, I look at numbers. For me, I, when I look at everything, I look at percentages. You know, there's a saying in boxing is that the only thing that counts is the truth. But percentages are, are what I always look at. What are the probabilities? So I told people, the probability, the only way that Deontay Wilder could win a fight is by knockout. Yeah. Tyson Fury has two ways of winning the fight. That's going the distance or by knockout. And if he goes the distance, guaranteed. So I knew that he would beat him that way. Uh, but Anthony Joshua, when you look at Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, I think the basic foundation that Anthony Joshua has, won't be he won't be able to read the unorthodox style that Tyson Fury has. He comes from every angle, brother, but everything is, he knows exactly what he's doing, and he's so relaxed that that's what brings the power to him. I'm impressed with him, man. I was, I told him, I said, you know what? I've been with a lot of fighters. You're probably the most unorthodox one, but you're definitely a great fighter, man. So we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to it. Another thing I want to ask you about is, I know you probably hear this all the time, right? But what is the craziest cut you've ever had to deal with? Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's multiple cuts, right? But I'll, uh, I'll do boxing, and then I'll get you into MMA, right? Uh, so in boxing, I worked with uh, when I first moved to Las Vegas. This was my coming out for, uh, party for Las Vegas, for Nevada, for boxing, I should say. So I was a young guy in Las Vegas. And I worked with Raul Marcus, which was the IBF uh, uh, midway champion of the world. Mullins. And he, huh? Are you going to say Mullins? Yeah, it was Keith Mullins. Yeah, yes, I, I was watching this the other day. So, so Raul had major cuts. I mean, you could literally put the swaps here. He had cuts here. He had one there. And I kept his ass in the game, and he ended up winning the fight. Something like 70, 75 stitches. I mean, he was, he was gutted. That was my coming out party. And if you remember, Chuck Bodak was the old cut man that worked with Oscar De La Hoya, with Julio Cesar Chavez. He was the old man that looked like Colonel Sanders that would put the tape on his head. He's the first one to come up and tell me that I did a good job because the cut men in those days would not divulge any secrets. So when they were all very, they thought it was a very close circuit and, and they wouldn't compliment you. They wouldn't give you advice. When I was learning to be a cut man, I'll go back a little bit. When I was learning to be a cut man, I, um, matter of fact, Bone Crusher Smith was fight, fighting Marvis Frazier. And I went as a, as a fan. And this guy did a good job on the cut. So I went up to him after his, his fight and I said, you know, I'm trying to learn to be a cut man. 
can you tell me what you did? And I swear to God, Chris, he says, F you, hold on. Here we go. He says, I'm getting calls. He says, F you, I'm taking this to my grave and you got to learn like me. But see, that was the mentality of those days that they thought it was a secret. And once I broke down the mechanics of what I do, there's no secret to it. It's just all technique. So what he did there just kind of reinforced what I am. And I'm a martial artist first and foremost, and my job is always to teach. So in doing that, uh, I went forward and I continued doing what I do. Uh, I go back home with Andre Ward and he forgot about it. And my credibility kind of raised up. Now him and his son want to take pictures of me, but I never forgot. And I never to this point have thrown his name out there because his name wasn't important. It was more of, of what he did to me that I learned from is never to be like him. But they always, it's not no secret what we do. It's all technique. So that was boxing. And MMA, I don't know, there's, there's a whole bunch of them, man. You know, I, uh, I'll tell you one that kind of pops up to the, the top, not so much as a big cut, but probably one of the best, hardest hitting MMA fights I'd ever been witness to. And that was Vanderlei Silva fighting Chuck Liddell. And the date was December the 29th, I think, at the MGM here in Las Vegas. And the reason I remember the date, because I saw Vandalay like about a week before and, and the psychology thing, right? So I, once again, I said, Vandalay, I want to give you good karma. Uh, that's my birthday that day, you know? And we left it, right? And uh, so come fight time, I'm working with Chuck Liddell. Leon Tabs, the legendary cut man, is working with Vandalay Silva and man, these guys are cracking each other. You could hear these punches just cracking each other. And I'm working in Chuck Liddell every round and Leon's doing the same thing with Vandalay. And Chuck has a cut. I work on it and the fight's finished and I clean up Chuck. And then I go up to where Vandalay and Leon Tabs are at. And Leon has the ice on Vandalay and he's looking like the elephant man. And, and, and I say, you know, Vandalay, are you okay? How are you doing? No, I say, Steve, I'm, I'm okay, Steve, I'm okay. Steve, happy birthday. I said, man, brother, this guy was in a life and death situation and he remembered my birthday, you know. Uh, but uh, a lot of big ones. Forrest Griffin, when he fought Shogun, the first UFC fighter versus the first Pride fighter. Uh, and he ended up with that big old cut. If you look, I think on he's on the cover of the second video, uh, UFC <laughs> video game. But that big old cut, uh, I get in there and and I start working on it, and man, I, you know, there's three medications that we use with the adrenaline chloride 1-1000. That's on the swab. You put that on the cut, it closes out the blood vessels, and then you got abatine, which is a coagulant. It's like a cotton candy type of thing. Brother, I used everything, the whole kitchen sink to work on forests, and he ended up winning the fight, right? Uh, but what made that special is like a week later, uh, I get a, a, a mail, and he sent me a thank you card and a nice... Uh, certificate to a very nice restaurant. You know, those are things that really hit me hard because there are things that happen beyond where I'm at there. So he had to have thought about it. And uh, to me, those are special moments. But big cut, Brock Lesnar, when he fought Cain Velasquez, ended up with a big old gash right there. The same thing. I put that old swab in there and, and just him and I were real close and I'm working on him. And his words to me is, Stitch, take care of me. I said, of course, Brock, I'm going to take care of you. It's what I do, you know. So, uh, yeah, a lot of great moments, man. 
Fedor Emelianenko, just too many, too many to call, man. And and to me, I I, I love every one of them. Uh, give me a second. Let me show you something. I'm going to show you how powerful this stuff is. Hold on. All right. Yeah. All right, Chris. One of the greatest fighters in the history of MMA is Fedor Emelianenko, correct? Yeah, yeah. Right? I agree. So in the last Bellator fight that I worked, this was in San Jose, I walk into the hotel lobby, and he's sitting down there with his team and all that. He gets up. And he comes to me and he gives me a hug and he says, I got you some sweats. I said, no shit. He says, yeah. So he sent a guy upstairs to get his sweats. And look at this. I got to show you. What does it say? Stay on me. So he got it there. And then look, he got it right there in the front. You know, so. Uh, but and what, what I'm saying there is, is those are special moments because those were created when he was in Russia. And, uh, those are the kind of things I get, man. You know, so how can I not love my job? And the thing is that just going, have you ever heard a term when you're fighting this? You, you're literally stripped of everything. You're in there in your shorts and you're fighting. Everything's on the line. There's no line in the ring. And um, the fact that you make that experience that much better and you're just that support system, it shows. These yeah. things that you're saying just shows that how pivotal you are in the moments. No, it is. It's uh, it blows my mind, bro. Yeah. You know, I mean, to this day, I'm still that young, humble guy that grew up, you know, as a farm worker and and, and working with all these legends and 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 being right in the mix. You know, it just it's phenomenal. And I got tons and tons and tons of stories like this. You know, with so many different people. That's awesome. Uh, another yeah. thing, another thing I want to ask you was, um, see, I was thinking if I was a cut man. An ideal situation is if I worked in, say, cage fighting, especially because I'm thinking with Muay Thai, when you've got a ring, you could kind of lean back and take something off their knees and elbows and you don't get cut as much. But in cage fighting, you've got none. You've got like a solid. I can't think of the words to use now, but when you lean back, you can't lean away from it. It's your they're landing clean. So you get cut up a lot more working in the UFC and not working exclusively boxing. I'm sure. And Bellator as well. All the MMA um, promotions. Do you reckon that's helped you be a better cut man? So if you worked exclusively boxing, do you think you'd be as much, as good as a cut man as you are now? No, not at all, because this is a job. I get people that ask me every week through emails, through messages like this. They see what I do. They want to be a cut man, right? But uh, no, you know, if I was, and I tell people, if I was going to recommend a cut man, let's say, I, let's say you book me, all right? And I'm already booked. I'll say, well, look, Chris, I can't do it because I'm working with this event, so-and-so, but let me recommend so-and-so because he works MMA and he works boxing. The We as cutmen, the only way to be good at what we do is to do it in the trenches because there's no schools on how to work cuts and how to do these techniques and all that. Uh, though I put videos out, but that's not the same. Uh, but in MMA, you're guaranteed to work cuts. Now I'm working bare-knuckle fights. So that's guaranteed also, yeah. right? But but if I was going to recommend anybody to work with you, it would be a cut man that works both boxing and MMA, no doubt. Because as you look at the guys in boxing, still yet, especially here in the United States, I don't know so much about the UK. And I know a lot of the good cut men in the UK. It's just, but they're, uh, they're very uh, uh, close-minded on what they're doing. They're still old school. You get the guys that, you know, put the swab in their mouth, you know, 
they put the shit in their ears, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all that is, is they want to be identified as a cut man. And, and, and it takes more than that. But uh, yeah, no doubt about it. If you got MMA experience and a lot of it, you can stop just about any cut. Working in bare knuckle, bare knuckles, you're going to get lots of bare, bare knuckle fighting. You're going to get a lot of cuts there. I, I, I love it, man. It's about, I'm, I'm saying it's a 60, 70% cut ratio. I'm literally with the <laughs> fighters. I'm, and, and they're multiple cuts, but that's a good point because the, the cuts in MMA are, are deeper as, as the cuts in, in bare knuckle fights because it's bone on bone and all that, but they're multiple in, 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 uh, bare knuckle fights. Another thing I want to ask you was wrapping hands as well. You know, when you're wrapping a boxer's hands and you're wrapping somebody that's doing MMA, say they like to wrestle a lot, the thumb, you know that, just being paranoid about getting your thumb wrapped too much and you can't really, you can't grapple properly. Do you ever get something like that? Did you ever hear that kind of stuff? Yeah, of course. You know, when uh, uh, the Brazilians, you yeah. know, when I was with the UFC, is, but the Brazilians have never been accustomed to having their hands wrapped, right? There's all jujitsu and, and all that, but they would all want their thumbs taken off. And I would say, well, you know what? Let me finish the wrap with the thumb attached because with the thumb attached, it anchors everything else. So if you do away with the thumb, basically you just got gauze and tape. So there's really no stability in in, in locking in the metacarpals or the wrist or anything like that because that thumb is is a big, big anchor. So what I would do a lot with the Brazilians is, is I would wrap it entirely and then have them do some grappling and they found out that in all fairness it wasn't even a big disadvantage and as a matter of fact with with the gauze on the thumb it that it wouldn't slip as much because of the of the sweat and all that so i educated them on that uh but i recommend everybody yeah of course getting your 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 thumb wrapped and and the people ask also if you're going to ask it what's the difference between an mma wrap and a boxing wrap it's the same thing because if it works for boxers, it works for MMA. The only difference is that we don't put this extra padding on the MMA because of the gloves fit. But as you look at the fights from now on, uh, Chris, you'll notice the guys that wear gloves, the guys that get the wrist wrap where you got the swabs here. Uh, those guys, the guys that put the Vaseline here and they work like an artist, mm-hmm. the guys that have the small towels as they clean them, that's the techniques that I established when uh, that, that a lot of these guys use because it works. You know, it's very, very simple and it's very, I'm not going to say it's primitive, but it's it's the easiest way to perform and do what you got to do and be effective. So notice that. Look at all the guys that, that wear gloves now. And in and, and MMA, they all do. If you look at boxing, you still got guys without gloves. You still got guys with this in their mouth, in their ear, you know, but you look at MMA guys, they're a little bit different. And, and I have to take credit that I put that program together. Because you was one of, you was basically one of the first cut men there. As soon as the UFC started, you was the main man. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, Leon Tabs was the original cut man. He came in from UFC number one. They brought him on board. <clears throat> but he was the old boxing mentality, the old school boxing guy. And when I came on board, being that I had a school of kickboxing and, you know, I had done all this, I'm the one that started putting things together that made sense, logic. And I started putting the, the program together that Leon Tabs and I used, and then they brought in the third guy, and then the fourth, and now uh, just about every MMA group hires four or five cut men. And, uh, and I, I got to take a lot of pride in saying I helped put that program together. 
What do you make of um, them? Uh, you know, recently you've got Masvidal, John Jones talking about pay in the UFC and people comparing boxing pay to UFC pay. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's there's an old saying in boxing that one percent of the fighters make ninety nine percent of the money, right? Uh, <clears throat> but you know, you you look at the UFC. Yeah, you don't want to get me involved with the UFC because I'll tell you some stories. But uh, yeah, I I think they need to get paid a little bit more than what they're getting paid. You know, uh, only because even though they're shorter rounds, the level of competition and the, you know, when you're dealing with 12 weapons, you know, opposed to two for boxing, then, you know, you, you should be compensated. But all the money, I was just reading the other day with the UFC now is worth something like $7.2 billion, right? Well, I, I remember when I first joined, Dana said, because Dana's the one that brought me in. I knew Dana before the UFC. And, and I'll make this clear that, Dana says he was in boxing. Well, Dana was in boxing doing hand pads for uh, casino executives and their wives. He was never really a corner guy, never really a boxing trainer. But nonetheless, Dana's the one that brought me in, so I got to give him props for that. Uh, but then at that point, he says, as we make money, you all make money, right? Well, as they kept going and they get bigger and bigger, they were making money and we weren't getting nothing. And with this thing with Joe, with uh, Jorge Masvidal and, and John Jones, there was a comment that, that came out about, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, I still wonder whether the ring girls are getting paid more than the cut men. Uh, and who would you prefer in your corner? You know, but that's that's a fact. You know, the ring girls get paid more than the cut men. And, and, the, and, and the cut men, um, you know, they deserve more than what they're getting also, not only the fighters. But I agree. I agree. I had no idea that was the case. I didn't know that. Sure. Of course. You know, you look at the, I mean, look at Ariana, uh, Ariani, you know, she's doing real, real well, you know. Uh, but yeah, the ring girls get paid more than the fighter, or than the, than the cut men. Isn't that a shame? And the thing about it, you know, when, when I was with the UFC, Chris, when, when I would get sponsors, I would always speak up for the other cut men. I would say, I would negotiate my deal. And I said, all right, well, Chris, listen, man, I got so-and-so and so how about the billboard effect? Don't pay them what you pay me, but we'll be able to get your logo on their outfits. And I would, I would make these guys some money. I'd give them sponsorship money. You know, and you get two or three different companies. That was unexpected money that they would get every month. So I always, I always did that. So, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, they need to be compensated a little bit more. How do they justify that? How do they, is it just sponsors? They say the, the girls are carrying sponsors so they get paid more. How do you justify it? Because you can't do without a cut man, but you can do without a ring girl. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I heard one person say that uh, uh, a chimpanzee could do the job of a ring girl. But wouldn't it be, now listen, now listen, listen, wouldn't you as a fan, if you had a chimpanzee walking around <laughs> with, with a, wouldn't you be more interested? <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it's a job of chimpanzee. I wouldn't want to see a chimpanzee in a bikini, though. I'm just a chimpanzee with a ring You know, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. And, you know, when, when I left the UFC, when, when they took away the Reebok deals, sponsors from all the fighters, right? All the fighters were, of course, complaining. The fans were complaining. Uh, the manager, everybody was complaining about them losing sponsorship monies. So they cut, they called the cut men together, all of us. They brought a us in and, and told the same thing is you can't wear any more sponsors. And so I always try to negotiate 
at least a, a, a raise in income, a, a pay raise. No, nah, no, nah, there's no money in the kitty. There's no money in the kitty. So these guys ended up having what they had. And I always said I needed the UFC to make my money through sponsors because I wasn't I wasn't making my money through UFC. And and when I when I did that article that got rid of me, uh, I guess maybe I I messed up by saying maybe I got to concentrate a little bit more on boxing because boxing will pay me more per fight than you know one one Klitschko fight would be six months of of UFC fights. You know, so show you the capacity. What, what do you feel, see when you was in the fight with uh, Klitschko uh, going into the Anthony Joshua fight? Ninety thousand people. That's a lot of people. And uh, it's crazy that I'm leading on from that because the cut man is huge. And like I was saying earlier, if you even see before the fight, a good cut man, like you were saying earlier with Fedor, the experience and the, it affects the performance. It affects everything. So um, you going out there, do you feel pressure? Do you feel that 90,000 people screaming? And you know, if, if Klitschko did get cut in that fight, you're on yeah. to keep that fight going and keep your fight out, you know, because if he's got blood going in his eyes, that's huge. So do you feel that pressure? What's that? No, I don't. You know, the adrenaline, of course, because, you know, that's what we live for, right? Mm. But in, you're talking about the cut for Vladimir. Very few people knew that he got cut. And it was, it was, a, it was a nice cut right underneath the eyelid, you know? And, uh, but that's my job, right? Uh, but no, I, uh, no, it's not the, 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 the nervousness anymore. It's more of the, the adrenaline. But I remember walking behind Vladimir, and the more Vladimir's, this tall, so I'm walking behind a pillar, right? And as soon as we walk into the arena, everybody starts screaming. Everybody to the point where it just sounded like a buzz. And I'm thinking to myself, "Wow, what an experience!" You know. So yeah, those are mo- they're priceless moments. Priceless. What keeps you, you know, being so passionate about the sport? What keeps you going back to the gym? Because you've reached the pinnacle now. What keeps yeah. you, you know, enjoying this job? What keeps you going? What is it about this well, sport? It's not even a job. <laughs> it's an adventure. You know, <laughs> so, you know how, uh, how can you complain about flying to Europe or mm-hmm. flying somewhere else and, and, and working in a major show? And, you know, uh, what's wrong with that, man? You know, how can you get old doing that? The hardest part of what I do is actually the traveling, you know, especially when I'm going overseas. You know, that's the hardest part. The The rest of it is a piece of cake, you know, because uh, let's say I get into London and and normally if I go overseas, I'll get in on Wednesday and that way I'll get a little acclimated. So I get in, but my job don't start till I get in the dressing room, you know. So the rest of the time I'm going to the weigh-ins, I'm going to the press conference, I'm, you know, I'm being a groupie and, and come fight time is, is when my job starts. Well, congratulations on a great career. And, you know, you you've really when I think about uh cut men I think about Al Gavin um and you and um Chuck I forgot his name now Chuck Bodak Chuck Bodak, Chuck Bodak sorry Chuck Bodak they're three people that come to mind so you yeah. know you really are you really just you're in movies you've done it all now hey man to to, to this point I've never asked for one job Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll tell you, I've never, I'm not one to kiss ass, you know, it's just not my nature, right? Mm-hmm. But I've never been one to ask for a job. I had a chance of working with Floyd Mayweather. I'll give you a good little side story. Is, is Floyd always had problems with his hands. So he was going through different guys on trying out their raps and what have you not. And I just happened to walk into Top Rank Gym with 
uh, one of my friends, and this is years and years ago. And uh, I see this one guy wrapping his hands, and right off the bat, I'm telling my friend, his hands are wraps are too tight. Floyd is going like this, and so he wraps both hands. And at that time, James Prince was his manager. So Floyd and James go into the dressing room, and a minute later, they're coming back and they're cutting them off. So if I wanted to be cold and disrespect this cut man, I could have very easily, I said, Floyd, I'll wrap your hands right now. I knew I would have got the assignment, but out of respect to this guy, I didn't do it, you know? And uh, so, but I've had, you know, a lot of opportunities like that, but never asked for one job. Like I was saying to you earlier, you know, um, before we actually went live is seeing somebody that pursued your dream and uh, just your story of RJ Reynolds, and taking that risk and leaving and, you know, pursuing the dream was inspirational for me. So it's awesome, man. It was nice to sit here with you and just hear your story and just hear that passion that you have for the sport. It's awesome. Yeah. But thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. No, nah, it's my pleasure, man. Like I say, it's, it's, it's all barbershop talk, you yeah. know, and then, and, you know, Monday through Thursdays when I'm not traveling, I go visit the gyms. I go to Mayweather's gym and I go to Bones Adams gym. I go to City Boxing gym. And I just go sit there and talk to the guys. You know, it's all barbershop talk is all it is, you know. Yeah. And, and that's that's my fun. That's how, you know, my wife knows. I'll tell her I'll be back in a couple hours. You know, two, three hours I'm back, you know. And uh, But I, that's where I spend my time. Just, you know, I'm not, I don't go party. I don't go to the bars. I'm not a big drinker. And, uh, but I do hang out at gyms. Oh.